From Harry Hurley Way in the world's playground to the broadcast pioneers of Philadelphia Hall of Fame. I want to congratulate my friend, Harry Hurley. You're about to find out why Harry Hurley has been named to the Talkers Magazine list of the 100 most important talk show hosts in the nation. Live from the studios of Town Square Media in Northfield, it's Hurley in the Morning on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. It is seven minutes past the hour. Thank you for waking up early in the morning and a hearty, happy healthy TGIF. Well, all I can say is 19 hours and 54 minutes have transpired since we were last together. And yesterday was a whole bunch of baskets full of crazy going on. You know, you know, when the Democrats are going bonkers that we're onto something. And I'll tell you what, Even for them, their behavior was despicable. I don't even know who to to start on first. Corey Bush. uh, I don't want to know her name. I'm never probably going to ever speak her name. But this disgrace of a Democrat delegate from the Virgin Islands. These are just contemptible, disgusting, dishonest, despicable people. So I forget Schellinger's first name, Taibi. His first name is Matt. These guys are getting attacked by these animal Democrats. They, they, they cannot counter anything that they're saying, so they attack them. I mean, unbelievable. You've got the Democrat socialists. And incidentally, I think Taibi and Schellinger are Democrats. You wouldn't know that. But when they're going crazy like that, you know that we're getting close to something. Fauci had an all-star day. Uh, Fauci, quote, I am science. (laughs) It's just, just crazy. So he tries to discredit Redfield. And saying that he's 100% absolutely wrong that he got sidelined. You would know if you got sidelined. And I think the record clearly shows that Redfield did do a disappearing act. So you know the reason why. If your superior tells you get lost, you get lost. What are you going to do? Say no? I'm, I'm going to bust into the press conferences and things? He He was sidelined. And then, of course... The Manhattan prosecutors leak and leak and leak. And they're basically telling us that perhaps as soon as a week or so from now, President Trump will be indicted in this Stormy Daniels case, which is complete fabrication of a criminal element to it. You know, if you want to pay somebody and create a non-disclosure. That that's where's the crime in that? You don't you don't have to like the alleged behavior which Trump denies. And then people say, "Well, then why would he pay $130,000?" I don't know because when you're worth whatever he's worth, 3 billion, whatever he's worth, that's like giving somebody a penny just to end aggravation. Settlements happen all the time where you decide 
This could go on for years. It would be X amount of legal fees, a lot of bad publicity. I'll just settle it and be done with it. So they keep remember this Letitia James. She ran for office saying that she was going to get Trump and everyone in the Trump orbit. This was somebody running as a candidate saying she was going after people, not that they were going to take an oath of office to uphold the rule of law and actually prosecute crimes that would happen over time. This was in advance saying, I don't know how he's not in a position to be able to prosecute these people and have them charged. But of course, you know how that's going in our country. We have these Democrat judges now. They tell you that you have brought up something frivolous and they order you to pay all kinds of money. It's happened to Trump. Uh, it's happened in Arizona. So the Manhattan prosecutors signal charges likely for Trump in the Stormy Daniels case. Why do they got to signal anything? Why don't they just do their job? And if, a, if they get a grand jury uh, to indict, which it appears that a Manhattan grand jury uh, next week will either hear from President Trump. If I were him, I would not even go. They have their mind made up one way or the other. A lawyer for President Trump confirmed to Reuters News that Trump had been invited to testify, quote, he has a chance to appear before the grand jury as all people subject to an investigation do. If Trump is charged, it would mark the first time ever indictment of a former president and add to the legal challenges faced by Trump as he seeks the Republican nomination for president in 2024. Huh. I wonder there can't be any connection between any of that, right? That's just all a coincidence. While being given the opportunity to testify indicates that Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg could charge the president, the prosecutor could still decline to indict Trump. Now, I don't I don't know what's going to happen. The I I would say if a grand jury handed up an indictment, he'll prosecute the president. He he will be a hero. I mean, you'll have the Joy Behag crowd, all these losers. I mean, they've been dying for President Trump to be criminally charged. Just understand, we told you a long, long time ago that President Trump is going to be under investigation and threatened with charges for the rest of his life. And it's happening. So when I say that yesterday was a bunch of basket full of crazy, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Joe Biden put a budget plan out there. Not only would it massively increase taxes, cost jobs. I could go on and on and on. It would cause the and it, thankfully it's never going to happen. Don't tell me that midterm election wasn't important, that it didn't matter. Biden's budget would cause the national debt to hit $51 trillion by 2033. About 10 years ago, I was told that if we hit, and I can't remember 20 what, 22 million, 25 million, I don't remember what the number was. But 
any more, give or take five trillion, that we would be insolvent if the budget was half that amount. Now it's going to be twice that amount. So it's nuts. Let me give you a list of the tax increases in Biden's budget. And remember, Biden's budget is going nowhere. So don't even worry about it. But I'm going to cover it. Biden wants to put in the highest personal income tax rates since 1986. It calls for a top combined federal tax rate of 45%. I went back in time in 1986, the number one song in America. It's a little preview of our mental health break that we're going to do in the nine o'clock hour, although not not this particular item but i just decided what's the number one song and the uh the song is walk like an egyptian also i thought it was ironic that was the year of the first top gun movie and now we have another one i guess it was in 2022 highest capital gains tax rate since 1978 a rate that would be more than twice as high as China's capital gains tax rate. How stupid would that be to purposely and purposefully not be competitive? Biden's plan almost doubles the top the capital gains tax rate for investment to just under 40 percent, 39.6 percent from the current 20 percent. This is insane. It's 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 nuts. So when you add the um, Obamacare tax, which is what four percent or something like that, and there's a five point four percent state capital tax gains rate, and that varies, but it's five point four percent would be the average capital gains rate. This would bring Biden to 50 percent, 50 percent capital gains tax rate. California and other crazy, wacky blue states would go above 60 percent. This is this is madness, utter madness. When we come back, I'll go to the corporate tax rate and I'll tease this much again We do not compare favorably to China. This is a real mess, but it's a mess in words because fortunately it has Biden said yesterday to Steve Ducey or Peter Ducey rather. Let me get that clear. Peter Ducey, the son and Ducey only gets these things in when he it's it's terrific the way that he gets to Biden. And Biden thinks that most of his budget and his tax increases are going to happen. This delusional, dishonest man who told his most recent bald-faced lie yesterday. We'll tell you about that as the hour progresses. Fox News commentary. American taxpayers are shelling out at least $182 billion per year on illegal immigration. And the blank checks keep coming. I'm Tommy Laren. More next. 
Hey, it's Jesse Kelly. Are you paying attention to China, Russia, and Ukraine? Any reminders of the Cold War days? If you've been on the fence about buying gold and silver, now is the time to make the call. Securing your IRA or 401k with real gold and silver is a portfolio protection plan, and Oxford Gold has made it as easy as one, two, three. Call Oxford Gold right now and ask about bonus opportunities you may be eligible for. 833-404-GOLD. That's 833-404-GOLD. According to the Federation for American Immigration Reform, illegal immigration costs American taxpayers at least $182 billion a year. That means each taxpayer has a bill for roughly $1,100 on our tab. This cost is incurred by the nearly 16 million illegal immigrants on the books and the 5.4 million children of illegal immigrants we also support. I don't want to hear the nonsense about illegals paying taxes because analysis shows they contribute around $32 billion but cost us over $150 billion more than that. This is an outrage. Mothers can't find baby formula, everyday essentials such as eggs, are priced through the roof, not to mention the cost of childcare, college, insurance, and housing. We simply cannot keep funneling more people through our southern border. We are bankrupting our country little by little, and the Democrats are letting it happen. We've already got a national debt over $31 trillion. Turn off the spigot! I'm Tommy Lahren, and you can watch my show, Tommy Lahren, is fearless at Outkick.com. Set the first button on your car radio for South Jersey's talk station. WPG Talk Radio 95.5. Welcome back to the Hurley in the Morning program on WPG Talk Radio 95.5, South Jersey's number one news talk radio station. Thank you. You did that. We can't do that. Only you can do that. If you missed our opening segment, we um, talked about the fact that Joe Biden's budget, which it's it's more than DOA. It's got no chance. It'll never get through the House. I don't even think it would get through the Senate. But in any event, it would cause the national debt to hit $51 trillion by the year 2033. You know, there will be, I don't think ever again, there'll be nothing like the four-year and only four-year. This is not going to get another four years. It's absolute garbage. This is the worst presidency in American history. $51 trillion, um, this is the this is the massive debt that Biden is going to leave America with. So I left you with the corporate tax rate. We will be higher than communist China, an increase, a 31 percent increase. It will go from 21 percent to 28 percent. Again, these are words only because it's not going to happen. Uh, Chinese um, communist Chinese have a rate of they have two different rates depending on the, the sector, but 15% and 10%, we would be at 28%. And again, when you add the state corporate income taxes, the combined federal and state rate under Biden's proposal would be beyond 32%. This is insanity. You'd have nothing left. You know, we work right now until into July, almost August, before we earn the first penny. The, the government wants they want everything. Remember, Barney Frank said it. They take half. And then when you die, they think your money should just go to the government, that you shouldn't be able to leave the fruits of your lifetime of work, that you shouldn't be able to leave that to your wife, to your husband, to your children, whoever, whoever of your choice. They want to take it all. Unbelievable. And here, here is the real magical one. It's got to be unconstitutional. Biden wants to put a wealth tax on unrealized gains. 
In other words, and this would be a 20% minimum tax on unrealized gains. This would mean, I mean, it would be such a big ticket item and it would completely change the way that people invest because you can't take a position that you're in and tax it before you do any type of disposition with it. I mean, you. so if it's up one year, you get whacked. And then what happens, you know, if it goes down? You, you have a write-off, but this is insanity. Unbelievable. That one is supernatural. Here's another one. Biden wants to quadruple the tax on stock buybacks. So understand something. They're such liars. They You don't have to be a finance guy to process what this stuff means. You just have to be willing to just study it a little bit or listen to somebody who knows. Because I can tell you on this, a tax like this on the stock buybacks, they'll lie to you and act like it's not going to affect you. It will hit every single American with either a 401k plan, an IRA, or a union pension. There's no mistaking that. It would be absolutely disastrous. Biden wants to, again, this, this, um, this, this assault on energy. Billions, $31 billion in taxes on American energy, oil and gas. Not, not their hydro and electric and all these other things they want to do. Their flatulence energy, no problem with that. And a 32% increase to Medicare taxes. So Biden is destabilizing Medicare. He's cutting Medicare. I'm telling you, we just have to start saying the, the same lies that they say. You know, I've, I've always had this, this absolute desire constitution you know, to really to be perceived as fair, you have to be more than fair and to really work hard to get it right. They don't care. Biden said yesterday that, quote, the MAGA GOP wants to defund the police. This guy's he's a crazy man. No, no, you and your your pals wanted to defund the police. But they lie with ease and with great regularity. Ready for this one? Carried interest tax on capital gains. They want to do this trick. Even Kristen Cinema, who used to be a Democrat, rejected the Democrats' attempt to raise taxes on income carried from last year. This is insanity. $23 billion in retirement taxes. 24 billion cryptocurrency tax, real estate tax hikes. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And it would double the global minimum tax. This, this is a, this is the, this makes Biden a serial taxer of the lowest order. And once again, they do not take into consideration that this actually hurts the little guy. Who's going to lose because the rich people, they have lawyers, they have CPAs, they're going to figure it all out. They'll have to change and they're good at that. They're nimble. 
they have the means to be able to be so. The little guy is going to lose his job or her job because if somebody has a business and they're getting their face kicked in by the government, guess what they're going to do? They're going to just close it because they can and because they should. You know, I've often warned that if we get to the point where the government wants to have confiscation level taxation and they know exactly what they're doing, they're, they're trying to bring down free market capitalism and burn it down, not to its knees, because at least on your knees, you're still in the game. You're not as mobile, but I mean, you're still in it. They want to burn it down. And then recast their dystopian alternative reality. Remember, I said yesterday was baskets full of crazy. When we come back, the sparks flew over Hunter Biden's laptop yesterday and the Twitter files. And we'll tell you more about that coming up after this. It's early in the morning on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. Let's make it a great Friday. Also, open forum coming up in about 35 minutes, 8 o'clock hour. And this is by guest listener demand. I apologize. I can't remember who the guest listener was that asked me, Harry, would you get would you get Michael Donio on your show? I can't remember. We all know who this is. I said, yes, I, I absolutely will do that. Yeah, and I did. And I said I would text him that day, and I did. And we set up a number of days ago the Honorable Michael Donio, New Jersey Superior Court presiding judge criminal division retired he also worked in the civil division will be with us for the eight o'clock hour it's not to be missed and we're going to need it and i will tell you i need it by the time i get done this hour and i get done listening to you next hour we are going to need a hurley in the morning official mental health break with don p hurley and it will happen Today, in the 9 o'clock hour, music, memories, positive stuff. We'll put on hold all the bad news, all of that, all the stress, all of that until next week. We'll be back in just a moment. More early in the morning after this. Did you know New Jersey's proposed energy master plan is going to cost $1.4 trillion of your money? That's nearly $150,000 per person to electrify all of your home appliances, pay the bill for public EV charges, stop the sale of gas cars and trucks, and put our electric grid on unreliable footings. Join Affordable Energy for New Jersey as we advocate for common sense energy policy and solutions that actually work for South Jersey. Learn more about the state's proposed policies at NJ Affordable Energy. Com. We'll be back after this. This is the Town Square, New Jersey Info and Weather Network. And this is Harry Hurley at 31 minutes past the hour with three stories that you can follow right now on the WPG Talk Radio 95.5 app. Bob McDevitt is leaving Unite Here Local 54, his presidency. We have the sole exclusive. Check it out on the website or the app. Atlanta County Executive Dennis Levinson tells the state of New Jersey that enough is enough. And it's um, 
very unambiguous. Please read that and catch up. And I wrote a surprise Longport article. I from the Townsquare, New Jersey Info and Weather Network, I'm Chief Meteorologist Dan Zaro. Our weather turns active again starting later today. I want to stress yet again, this is mainly a rainmaker for South Jersey. Mostly cloudy and quiet this morning, high 48. Rain pushes in through this afternoon, pockets of heavy stuff into tonight, low of 38. There could be one final push of wintry mix tomorrow morning, then windy and slowly clearing tomorrow afternoon, high of 45. Get weather 24-7 wherever you are. Download our free mobile app today. People who come to... Early in the morning, WPG Talk Radio 95.5 and on the WPG Talk Radio app. Hi, it's Mark Levin. Join me this evening at 6. Now back to Harry Hurley on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. Thank you, great one. Welcome back. 40 minutes past the hour. One of the most important things that will be happening over the next couple of years is the House Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the federal government. I, I am I am utterly thrilled about this because, you know, I've been using this term for years. This has been going on every time Democrats get into power. They weaponize every single aspect of government. They did it with the IRS. They've done it with every legal controlling authority that you could possibly think of. FBI, DOJ, and I know the FBI is under DOJ. I really wish we had an independent FBI. That's the way it was supposed to be. It's not that way anymore. I mean, I, I you could make a mistake and maybe live to regret this, but I, I think I would seriously consider the 10-year appointment that whether that unless it is for some kind of criminal behavior, not some politician criminal, but criminal conduct that you can't be touched. I mean, what they've done to the FBI is such a shame to all the honest, decent, hardworking FBI agents who are not corrupt, who don't want to do anything except do a really good job. And, and signed up because they love their job and the work that they used to be able to do. It's, it's now all criminally, politically weaponized. Jim Jordan, this is so important that Jim Jordan himself is um, the chairman of this House Select Subcommittee. A lot of times the big members, if you will, they chair committees. And, and, and this is not a put down This is because uh, there were some very relevant subcommittees, Maritime and other ones that Congressman Lobiondo was chairman of. But you don't often see someone at Jim Jordan's level chairing a subcommittee. This House, House Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government is enormously important. And they're out and they're running. They're, they're, they're in the game and they've begun their work. And of course, what the Democrats are doing, they disrupt they accuse everybody of being racists i i'm telling you we're going to have to find a way to be able to criminally charge these people or at least civilly hold them liable they should not be able to get away with that kind of stuff you know i'm allowed to say the first amendment protects me i'm allowed to say i think joe biden uh is a terrible president you know but i don't i don't say things even that i think that are true that I believe would be 
either libelous or slanderous. I mean, for example, his daughter has written things about him that are criminal. If true, I don't ever bring it up in terms of it being confirmed because I don't know. Uh, People have seen the diary and they have reported on its contents. The, The Democrat media hides all of this. But I'm telling you, this subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government is really important. So important. Because you have all the Twitter stuff, you have all the other social media oligarchs and what they did, how they went after some, protected others, deplatformed some, didn't do anything to the other side. And it went on and on. At one point, Jordan was sarcastic and said, oh, what a coincidence, because they were talking about, you know, all these times where the government was directly in coordination with Twitter. And Matt Taibbi and um, Michael Schellinger. Matt Taibbi has been a, 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 I think he's a Democrat, actually. He's a, he's a multi um, uh, bestseller, New York Times bestseller, 30 years as a journalist. And you have this unconscionable delegate who, who can't even vote. They, they make the ranking member a joke clown that can't even legally vote, can't vote in the House of Representatives. Not a representative, a delegate like Eleanor Holmes Norton. And she is just saying the most outrageous stuff. Calls Matt Taibbi a so-called journalist. I love this Taibbi handled himself beautifully. He said, I'm not a so-called journalist. I've been a journalist for over 30 years. He should have said, you're a so-called, you're not even a so-called representative because you're not even a representative. This woman was despicable, disgraceful. They don't want the truth to come out. So they can't argue the truth. So they attack and they call you a racist. And other unkind slams. And at some point, I don't know how it's going to happen or if it will ever happen, but there has to be a way that when a member of Congress lies about you and besmirches you and hurts your reputation, hurts your standing in your community, uh, has people questioning whether you're a racist, uh, could get you canceled, could get you fired, otherwise interrupt your financial contractual uh, relationships and so on how can how can that be allowed something's got to be done about that and right now they they i want to say they believe they know they don't believe they know they can get away with this we'll be back in just a little bit please don't go away this is early in the morning That's right wpg talk radio 95.5 and on the wpg talk radio app markley van camp and robbins this afternoon at one now harry hurley on wpg talk radio 95.5 thank you so on top of the weaponization subcommittee the house republicans have also launched i'm telling you yesterday was a i wrote five articles 
And all this stuff was going on. It had nothing to do with the five articles I wrote. They're all different things. And all this was going on. It was complete, utter overload yesterday. My own twin brother was trying to get a hold of me, and I just had to keep telling him, I am, I am suffocating. I'm swamped. It, unbelievable uh, what was going on yesterday. So the House Republicans have launched their probe into the January 6th panel. This is also much needed because this now dissolved uh, House January 6th select committee that the Democrat media got away with their fellow Democrat liars and losers was saying it was a bipartisan committee. And all they did was cherry pick anything they showed was in the narrative of getting President Trump. That's all that was about creating a narrative that there was some insurrection. I don't know why. It's so easy for me to say that there were some things that happened that you can't defend. It was it was some of it was bad. But what the Democrats have tried to get away with. See, you, there, here's what needs to be done. Why didn't you include that President Trump said, and if you go to the Capitol, go peacefully? Why did you stop the recording where you stopped it? How come, and Nancy Pelosi's got to be hauled in, so does the mayor of D.C., and has to be, just has to be asked, why did you both turn down a massive amount of law enforcement that was offered to you by President Trump? They all knew there was chatter that there was something afoot. There was going to be a big demonstration. Why did you turn it down? And we know the answer why. They were in their summer of love uh, modality of defund the police. Police are bad and all these lies. So this is very important. And, and of course, once again, when they're going bananas, you know you're on to something. When they are freaking out, flipping out, going bonkers, you keep on keeping on. Because they're they're absolutely out of their minds over House Speaker Kevin McCarthy giving Fox News host Tucker Carlson temporary exclusive access to 41,000 hours of different video angles. Now, of course, you know, almost all of them never seen before because this was a rigged job. The only video that we've been allowed to see until Kevin McCarthy and get, giving it to Tucker, the only video we've been allowed to see is what the Democrats have wanted to come out and what uh, Pelosi's daughter, you know, oh, what a coincidence. She's there filming on January 6th. What? Why? What did they know something was going to happen? What was eventful? But, but they didn't get the help they needed that they could have had. So there's so many questions that have to be asked and answered. And they're going crazy about that. Why? What video? If you just show show all of it. What I want to see happen, and most Americans will not avail themselves of it, put all 41,000 hours of it uh, on, a, on a website, and the American people can go and look at it whenever they want. You got a little bit of time on your hands? You know, go look at a few hours, whatever. But they don't want that. They don't want that at all. You know, uh, something that's going on, we've mentioned that China is doing it, but it's not just China. Billionaires in America are buying thousands. And when I say thousands, 
I mean many, 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 for, forever, many, thousands of acres of land in America. And why is that? You know, billionaires used to buy, you know, mansions and have them different parts of the country and the world and and all of that. But they're buying basically raw land. I would say, look, I'm not criticizing it. I would say great investment. It always goes up in value. I mean, occasionally it goes down, but the net effect is that it always goes up. Uh, but I just point that out to you that 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 is happening with great regularity now. Also, I meant to mention this earlier in the hour. Robert Blake, Mickey from the Little Rascals, Robert Blake of Beretta fame has died at age 89. All right. So let me do something now. I did an experiment. God, he got it. I can't believe it. Oh, my gosh. That's impressive. I sent a photo to two of my best friends. I can't believe you got it. I think he's unrecognizable in it. Gene Hackman is 93 years old. He's not been seen outside, at least photographed, videotaped, in more than a decade. I found a picture of Gene Hackman yesterday. How did he get it? I I am shocked, I got to tell you. So, I mean, look, he's 93. He's got uh, what looks like... Uh, it looks like a Wawa cup of coffee, the red cup with the white plastic lid. And he has a cardboard something or other. I don't know what it is. Almost like the size of, let's see, is it a prescription? Not, not like an over-the-counter. It looks like an over-the-counter box of some kind of medicine or something because it has a long, long like description label on the back. Um, I can't say what the little box is, but he's in jeans. He's got um, like a ring neck, sort of greenish long sleeve shirt. And he has a um, a vest jacket, like a, um, oh, what would that material be? Crush velour, velvet type of deal. Uh, and jeans. He uh, He's walking... His head's down. He's got a um, baseball cap on, pretty long white hair poking out of the back, and uh, sunglasses on top of the um, the hat. You've seen people that wear it like that. Uh, he, obviously, at ninety three, he looks he looks very old. Um, I sent this, and I do this maybe like once a week. Who is this? And they get it every time. I can't believe it. Uh, I did Larry Fine of the uh, Three Stooges last week. I mean, I thought he was unrecognizable, completely different look. And I also have a cool picture of the Three Stooges all groomed, like Moe's hair is not down with that haircut. His hair's all slicked back and Larry Fine's hair's all slicked back and curly as hair in this particular photo. He wasn't always bald. Uh, so anyhow, it is Gene Hackman and I can't believe it. You are good. I, I, I don't want to say he looks unwell. I mean, because come on. He's out there on the street all by himself walking and navigating. And he got the coffee and he got the box of whatever it is. And he's out there. Um, 
And I have to agree with my friend that just wrote one of my favorites. Me too. I have a theory, whether it's Runaway Jewelry or any other movie you want to pick, the Poseidon Adventure, the original, I defy you. There's also one where he um, is accused of killing uh, a girl that's uh, Morgan Freeman's in it. I forget the beautiful brunette that's in it, elegant woman. Um, that's his wife. And that's a great movie. You will not. I, I defy anyone listening. You tell me a bad movie with Gene Hackman. There are some actors that you can just watch any movie they've ever made because they're all good. WPGG Atlantic City, WENJHD3 Millville, a Town Square media station. Everything you need to know in six minutes starts now. All right, let's do From Harry Hurley Way in the world's playground to the broadcast pioneers of Philadelphia Hall of Fame. I want to congratulate my friend, Harry Hurley. You're about to find out why Harry Hurley has been named to the Talkers Magazine list of the 100 most important talk show hosts in the nation. Live from the studios of Town Square Media in Northfield, it's Hurley in the Morning on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. Thank you very much. Let's make it a great TGIF. It's six minutes past the hour. Full disclosure, I've been really looking forward to this because each and every time we have visited on air with Judge Donio, it's just been awesome. Our guest this hour for the full hour is the Honorable Michael Donio, retired judge of the Superior Court of New Jersey where he was the presiding judge of the criminal division, also uh, worked for a number of years uh, in the civil division. Donio was appointed to the bench on July 21st, 1995. He retired on July 31st, 2015, after serving on the bench for 20 years. During his career, Judge Donio worked in both the civil and criminal divisions, as I mentioned, where Judge Donio was appointed to be the presiding judge of the criminal division, where he did a great job. You always knew in Judge Donio's courtroom that he would be he would have it under control and that he would be fair uh, and when necessary, he would also be firm. Judge Donio was responsible for overseeing all of the criminal judges in Atlantic and Cape May counties. Judge Donio often presided over the most high profile cases that were the subject of considerable public and media interest. Joining us now is the Honorable Judge Michael Donio. Judge, welcome. How are you? Good morning, Harry. How are you? Good. Welcome back. Uh, so we'll do the Alex Murdoch thing. It sort of feels like it's obligatory. Like you, I didn't follow it incessantly. I got a little more interested towards the end because I knew the jury would be getting the case. And I want I, I did watch some of his testimony. I, I, I'll start with this. I thought it was a huge mistake that he testified. We, we, we kind of know why, you know, he he. Um, fancied himself as smarter than everyone else, you know, in the courtroom. So what what could go wrong? He always felt, you know, that he was a step ahead. Uh, I think had he not done that, we could have seen a different result. And in fact, Judge, as you know, one juror said so, that if he didn't testify, he would not have been convicted. But what are your um, thoughts about the trial, the whole thing? Well, I, I, again, I didn't follow it closely as you did, uh, didn't Harry. Um, but I thought from the very beginning, in the publicity leading up to it, uh, I had no doubt that that he was guilty. Um, you know, when you follow his career uh, and and it, and you get more and more into what he was doing, you know, cheating his law partners, yeah. cheating his clients, uh, you know, whatever he could do to to keep up this aura 
of uh, being a big shot, so to speak. Judge, let me let me um, pressure on that because this is where I had a big problem. But you're a lot brighter than me, and this is your this is your space, not mine. I thought it was completely improper that the uh, prosecution was allowed to bring in that he cheated his partners and, and, and all these, you know, terrible things, because in, in other words, what does that have to do with um, whether he killed someone? I mean, do we are we allowed to assume well he's just a awful man and he probably cheated on his wife, too. So then he killed his wife and he killed his one son because he stole from all these other people. If I'm not mistaken, and and I believe my wife was on the jury before a distinguished jurist in Atlanta County. They weren't allowed to know that the person that was standing before them charged with sexual crimes had done it before in the same the same thing. They weren't allowed to be told. I think this thing has the potential to be overturned on appeal and that he could get a new trial. Why was all that stuff that you just mentioned even allowed to be in the case? Well, you, you, you hit a major point in criminal law, Harry. Um, we dealt with the same thing in the Bill Cosby case. It's called uh, Other Acts, Crimes, and Wrongs, and it's an evidence rule called Evidence Rule 404B, where uh, the court uh, has to make a pretrial determination on whether these other acts, crimes, and wrongs show some kind of a pattern, show some kind of a signature-type crime uh, that would be uh, relevant to the jury to the point where that relevance outweighs the prejudice that would ensue from it. And you hit it right on the head. That's going to be front and foremost on an appeal as it was in the Cosby case. Um, the 404B situation is fraught with uh, appeals and reversals in New Jersey. Now, let me just say this quickly um, to understand this. In Pennsylvania, and I don't know about South Carolina, but in Pennsylvania, in the Cosby case, uh, they didn't have any pretrial like hearing and testimony for the judge to weigh all this evidence to see if the relevance outweighed the prejudice. In New Jersey, when we get a 404B motion, we have like a mini trial. We hear from the people, we hear witnesses, and then we determine, okay, you want to bring in evidence of these five other things that he did, whether he was convicted or not, um, and they have to show relevance to show a common scheme, a plan, an ongoing type of enterprise. Now, uh, in this case, all his scheming and cheating and stealing, uh, an argument could be made that, you know, that's Apple's. And killing people is oranges. Yeah, that's so what I would say. You hit it, you hit it on the head that uh, when we read about the appeal in this case, that's going to be front and foremost of what they're going to uh, raise on appeal. Judge, let me raise one more thing about the, the Murdoch trial and then anything, of course, time is yours on this. And we're going to cover a lot more with Judge Michael Donio. I was thinking about this long and hard, uh, even before the, the, the fact that I knew that you and I would be having a great interview together, which I always enjoy, enjoy our time together. I watched this case towards the end and read a lot about it, even when I wasn't really watching it on a daily basis, and came to the conclusion that I believe he did it, but I don't believe they proved beyond a reasonable doubt that he did it. No physical evidence. Now, they do have the cartridge or the um, the gun casings, 
but I don't know that that links him to the, the two guns just because there's other casings on the property. Somebody else may have shot it. They had no physical evidence. They had no weapon. They had no blood on anything. He was totally convicted circumstantially. Now, I know, I know, because you could say that people get convicted all the time on circumstantial evidence. I truly believe he did it. I think that whole family for three generations is reprehensible. They're coming after the other son right now. So if you ask me if I think he did it, I absolutely would say I know he did it. But can I prove that he did it? And I don't think they proved that he did it. I think he got convicted because he was really unlikable and all this other stuff that they were able to bring in that they didn't they didn't believe his crocodile tears in his two days of testimony. And he got convicted totally circumstantially. Uh, what are your thoughts about my narrative? I, I agree with it, with the proviso. <clears throat> that video that was on his son's phone that That's put true. him at the scene, yeah. okay, that tells a lot. And we have a jury charge, okay, uh, in New Jersey, and I think all the other states do. It's called false in one, false in all. And it basically says that if you believe that a witness knowingly or willingly testified falsely to you as to any facts in this case with an intent to deceive you, you might get you can give such weight to their testimony as you deem entitled. You could believe some of it or in your discretion, you could disregard all of it. That that thing right there where he said he wasn't there, he wasn't there at or near the time and then have that video with his voice on it. That killed him. That killed him. And I think that, by the way, I completely agree. It was a phenomenal retort, Your Honor. I'm not surprised you're Judge Michael Donio. I'm just early in the morning. I would respond to that by saying that, yes, he did lie. And I hear you on, you know, that if you lie in one, the jury can determine you lied in all. But how does that prove that he did it? Even if it is his voice, which, by the way, they dispute that it's him. You don't see him. You hear him. He disputes that it's him. And does that prove, though, even though he lied, does that prove he did it? Well, uh, does it prove he did it? Uh, in and of itself, probably not. But with all of the other circumstantial evidence in the case that they put in, the jury determined beyond a reasonable doubt that he did it. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, very, very quickly, uh, I had predicted when they took three hours, I said, by the next day, we're going to hear one of the jurors say, and we didn't even need three hours. The one who said if he didn't testify that he wouldn't have been convicted said they didn't even need 45 minutes, Judge Donio, to convict him. Right, right, right. And, you know, the, the one juror, uh, and I didn't read that, by the way, about the juror, but what I kept reading about was the the video that we talked about yeah. that they said that that's a game changer but uh, you really don't know what would have happened i mean they obviously um had he not testified maybe the jury deliberation would have been days who knows but eventually you talk through these things and everybody gets somebody's not on board and you have a mistrial and you do it all over again but um you know he he uh, as far as him testifying I would bet you that uh, those lawyers did a CYA and that they have numerous letters in their file to him advising him not to testify because they probably saw through him. But being like the egomaniac that yeah. he appears to be, 
he's one of these guys that if you're in a room with him, he wants you to know he's the smartest guy in the room and thought that he could get up there and the way they said he would talk to a jury. And they said he was a good trial lawyer. They said he knew how to talk to a jury, which is a gift of some lawyers. He thought that he could get up there no matter what the evidence was, no matter what anything was. And he thought that he could schmooze the jury into believing everything he said. And it definitely was a mistake for him to testify. You can, you can, there's two reasons somebody testifies in a case. Number one, a defendant. The evidence that the state put in was so overwhelming that you're dead and you have no choice but to testify. Or B, you think that you're the smartest guy in the room and, that whatever, and the way you're going to talk to the jury, you'll make the jury know that there's reasonable doubt. There's the, there are the only two reasons. And I'm sure those lawyers covered their tracks. And because, you know, what happens in these say that the appeal goes up and it goes to the appellate court, their Supreme Court, et cetera, et cetera. And it could go all the way to the uh, federal courts. And he's and the, let's say it's uh, uh, affirmed, affirmed, affirmed. The next thing that you'll hear about is he's filing motions for what we call post-conviction relief, saying that his lawyers messed up. That, that's the last thing that defendants do. Then they blame the lawyer. Yeah. So I am sure that these lawyers have documented their file tremendously saying we told him not to testify. So, you know, that that we'll see if that all happens down the road. We're up against a break, but I, w- I don't want to lose this uh, momentum on, on a four minute break that's going to take place in just a moment. So I want to ask you one other quick follow up. I'm just curious about this. And if I'm putting you on the spot, it's not my intention. What would your feelings be if you were the judge about all that other stuff, embezzling from your law firm, uh, million-dollar policy on the housekeeper who just happens to fall down the steps and dies, and you get the million. I mean, I could bring up a lot of contemptible stuff. Should all of that – would you have allowed all that to be uh, admitted in a murder trial? Probably not, but it's hard for me to answer that, Harry, without hearing the witnesses about those other things, assessing their credibility – and seeing whether or not the prosecution is able to uh, dot the I's and cross the T's to show what is required under Evidence Rule 404, which is to show a common scheme and plan that is similar in nature. So th- that's a very tough standard. And I got to tell you, if you go read the appellate division decisions in criminal law in the state of New Jersey, and, you know, all my guys that I sat with, Judge Garofolo, Judge DeVore, you know, Judge Greenberg and all, they'll all tell you that that was the main reason that a lot of cases got reversed for allowing 404B evidence. What an answer. We're going to be right back. Don't go away. He's on my Mount Rushmore. And so you realize there's only room for four. He mentioned one. Uh, that's also on my Mount Rushmore. Gibson's on my Mount Rushmore. That's three. So you know there's only room for one more. But Judge Michael Donio, for a long, long time, has been on my Mount Rushmore of my favorite judges in the history of my lifetime. And we've been very fortunate in this area to have some great ones. And, and Judge Donio just mentioned a few of them, including Greenberg, who is on my Mount Rushmore. To have the opportunity to interview him, which we did, uh, because he's in the movie, you know, of that celebrated case that he did with his name right there, Honorable, you know, Judge Greenberg. And to talk about that case was absolutely 
amazing. It was fascinating. Judge Donio continues. This is early in the morning. WPG Talk Radio 95.5 and on the WPG Talk Radio app. E.com. Sean Hannity this afternoon at 3. Now, early in the morning on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. Thank you. Welcome back. We are visiting with the Honorable Michael Donio, retired judge of the Superior Court of New Jersey, the uh, retired presiding judge of the criminal division who also had uh, quite a career in the civil division as well. I know I asked you this before. We're, we're done with Murdoch for now, um, and we're going to move on to another very important topic. I know I asked you this a uh, year or two ago. I can't remember how long ago it's been. It's been too long since we've been on air together. And I do want to thank our listener, George, who suggested that I should ask you to come back, and Craig, who just wrote how much he's enjoying uh, his honor, and so am I. Uh, which did you enjoy more, the the civil judgeship or the criminal judgeship well um i would say that from a judicial perspective the criminal for for this reason it was very high paced uh you're on the bench an awful lot uh you were busy uh, uh busy all day either doing motions uh doing your quote list to see if you get guilty pleas uh doing suppression hearings doing trials and the time flew in criminal. It flew. Civil, uh, look, people are fighting over money. People are fighting over, you know, things like that. And uh, I never sat in the family division, which is probably one of the most important divisions where you're dealing a lot, not just with divorce, but children and children's rights and parenting and custody and things of that nature. Um, but I would say that I really enjoyed civil because of the uh, different types of cases. But the time in criminal flew because it was just high-paced and it was just always something going on. His Honor, Judge Donio, continues on the Hurley in the Morning program. For my 31 years on air, I have always maintained that New Jersey's gun laws were unconstitutional. And, and with the exception of a few counties, as you know, you'd have no chance. You could have a death threat. You could have incredible threats you you would go to the county prosecutor you have no chance in this area to ever get the right to carry i thought it was completely abominable i thought it was completely unconstitutional while the supreme court as you know uh you know squared this away and so now the new gun laws mean that it's easier to obtain a permit to carry uh let me ask you what are your thoughts about the, the way this is now being handled, not not necessarily versus how it was handled, but how the new gun laws in New Jersey uh, will go in your estimation. Well, I believe in the Second Amendment, uh, and I believe, like Justice uh, Scalia said, uh, the day I was fortunate enough to meet him, that, uh, you know, the Constitution is the Constitution, and we don't tinker with it. Uh, because it's the Constitution. I think his quote, and I love it, and he's one of my favorites of all time, as you know, appointed by President Reagan. He said, the Constitution says what it says, and it doesn't say yeah. what it doesn't say. Oh, yeah, yes. And and someday when we have time, I'll tell you about my visit with him in his chambers in Washington three months before he died. Good. It gives me an excuse um, to get uh, you back. Yeah, I'll tell you all about that. He was a tremendous uh, justice, and yeah. he was a great man. Yeah, um, so I believe in that. On the other hand, I do believe that in order to have the privilege of carrying a gun, getting that permit, I think that uh, training is important. 
I think that people who um, uh, have convictions with a gun, I think that somehow that they should be singled out and, and not be able to get a permit. But I think that the training and the yearly training, classroom and at the range training is vitally important. Are they? You may know this better than I because I don't know this. I'm going to ask. I'm not in a court of law. I'm not a lawyer, so I'm allowed to ask a question. I don't know the answer to. Uh, and it is this: Would if I went to try to try to get a permit, and if I could get the permit, am I required, like my twin brother, who has to? Um, and you know, you know, he's a retired policeman. Uh, you know, Don. Uh, am I required every six months to qualify, just like a police officer retired would be? I don't know if it's every six months, but I know you have to go qualify to get it initially. And I do believe you have to go uh, and get requalified. Um, and that's important. And I think you need classroom training as well. Listen, uh, not very many people know I had a permit when I was on the bench. I had a valuable threat by the Bloods. And uh, I went, I never had shot a gun in my life. And one of the guys at the county prosecutor's office who's in charge, my good friend Chuck DeFebo, uh, took me out uh, and took me to the range. And I learned, and I got to tell you, I was not comfortable learning to shoot a gun. I was not comfortable carrying the gun. And that's why I say that the training is very, very important. Because even people that think they know how to handle a gun, unless they have handled a gun for a long period of time, you could hurt somebody very easily, very innocently. Oh, yeah, and just I, yeah. I, yeah, just make a mistake. And I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and, and I, uh, my permit was good for two years, and then I retired, and I never sought to renew it. I never sought to renew it because I, the threat was over. It was a justifiable need. It was a, it was a legitimate threat, and um, uh, by, by getting a permit and learning how to shoot, um, I was a much better at shooting foul shots than I was hitting a target. I, I can love, tell you that. I love it. I, uh, would, I would be too. <laughs> yeah. And, and I was not comfortable with it. And, uh, I think that the training and the, uh, reclassification, whether it's every six months or every year has to take place. Things can't fall through the cracks the way sometimes they do. And I think that the, uh, even somebody with good intentions, and somebody that's not a criminal, things can go terribly wrong to innocent people when you have a gun. I, I, I can't dispute a single word that you said. It's measured uh, it's such a relatable story with your own experience. And uh, I, I think that was just all tremendously value added. Judge Donio, with respect to how. New Jersey was one of the strictest laws in America. I mean, we have these things happening where the Pennsylvania trooper, uh, you know, oops. I mean, how could she, you know, she had no idea. And unfortunately, Governor Christie pardoned her because I think that would have been just an injustice. It would have been an accidental tourist getting, you know, hammered. So I was very happy with that disposition. Uh, and I thought it was appropriate. You've got the W. Uh, I broke the story actually here in the area. TMZ had the national exclusive. Exclusive. You had the um, the WWE female star wrestler Sonia, and I forget her last name, uh, with the with the weapon that was legal in Florida, but not legal in the glove box of her car at the uh, Atlantic City Casino. I forget which one it was now. Um, 
may have been Borgata. I can't remember which one it was. So you have that going on. So you have these accidental tourist things. So we had one of the strictest gun laws in the country. Um, what do you think this means going forward, the new law? Well, I think that a lot more people are going to be carrying guns in New Jersey. Uh, I, today, if you look at the paper, the attorney general decided not to appeal a federal judge's uh, decision uh, that had to do with where you could carry uh, the guns, et cetera, et cetera. It's in the paper today, and I didn't read the whole article. I just read the headline. Uh, but, uh, you know, the current administration obviously wants to water down the uh, Supreme Court decision as best they can, yet keeping it constitutional. And, um, you know, it remains to be seen what happens on that. Uh, there's going to be judicial decisions that probably go both ways, and it's probably going to end up in the Supreme Court. Uh, and it all comes down to constitutional interpretation. Well, sometimes the Supreme Court say, uh, well, what are you doing here? We already decided this. Uh, they very well may. But as you know, uh, even with something that's decided, uh, lawyers find creative ways to say, well, the, there should be this exception to this or there should be you know, this amendment to this. By the way, we, let's put this on the table and we'll come back right after the break uh, with Judge Donio. Is the casino um, prohibition and, – and look, I, I'm not trying to cause trouble here today. It's been there forever and they've found a way to, you know, to make it work. But with the Supreme Court ruling, is the casino uh, process the way that they, they don't allow it? Uh, is that constitutional? Can they say that now that the Supreme Court made this decision and you have the permit to carry, can they tell you you can't carry uh, onto the casino floor, let's say? Judge Donio continues in just a few minutes. Don't go away. And then we have a lot more after that, including – uh, the status of judicial vacancies. This is something that Judge Donio and I have spoken about uh, because you don't want big case backloads and and all these things and people you know being called back and you know it's just very um, it's very bad for the system uh, if we can't keep up. So we're going to talk about the status of all of that. I got to give Palestine a credit; he's gotten a lot done with Governor Murphy here in this particular vicinage. So it, it could be worse, uh, but it could be better statewide with Judge Donio. I am early in the morning. We continue. This is the Town Square, New Jersey Info and Weather Network. And this is Harry Hurley with three stories that you can follow right now that I've written on the WPG Talk Radio website and app. Atlanta County Executive Dennis Levinson has told the state of New Jersey yesterday, we broke the story, go read it, that quote-unquote enough is enough. And that's relative to shortchanging Atlanta County with uh, revenue that we we should and rightfully in many courts we've been awarded, but they keep appealing. Longport story that I want you to read. I think you'll be surprised. And we also broke the story about Bob McDevitt leaving the presidency of Local 54. From the Townsquare, New Jersey Info and Weather Network, I'm Chief Meteorologist Dan Zarrow. Our weather turns active again starting later today. I want to stress yet again, this is mainly a rainmaker for South Jersey. Mostly cloudy and quiet this morning, high 48. Rain pushes in through this afternoon. Pockets of heavy stuff into tonight, low of 38. There could be one final push of wintry mix tomorrow morning, then windy and slowly clearing tomorrow afternoon, high of 45. Get weather 24-7 wherever you are. Download our free mobile app today. Businesses. 
early in the morning. WPG Talk Radio 95.5 FM and 1450 AM. Free. WPG Talk Radio 95.5. I have so many written communications. I'm not going to be able to do all the on-air shout-outs that you wanted me to give Judge Donio, or we're going to run out of time. I still have another break, and we're almost to the third break. Uh, it, it's going exactly as I thought it would because I remember the last time we were together, it was just like this. Uh, you're a great guest, Judge Donio. So during the break, I, I'm always multitasking and I don't waste time. I was conferring with my good friend Tom Foley and he brought me up to speed. This, in my estimation as a layperson, Judge makes absolutely no sense. And if you're just joining us, we're visiting with Judge Michael Donio, Judge Retired of the Superior Court, both Civil and Criminal Division, presiding judge of the Criminal Division when he retired after 20 years on the New Jersey State Bench. So get get a load of this one, Your Honor. It's every six months for retired police. That I know because I have identical DNA, and so that's very familiar to me. It is only every two years to be recertified for civilians. Now, I as a layperson say that makes no sense. The, the cops need less training than the civilians. That's crazy. <clears throat> I agree. And that's one of my things that, you know, if we're going to be putting all these guns in people's hands, we have to put them in hands of people that know how to use them. They might think they know how to use them, but we can't afford to have little kids in a house getting hit, uh, shot and killed, uh, people being out and not knowing uh, how to use a gun. And I didn't know that, that it was two years. I know. And that is, that's way too long, way too long. Agreed. I mean, it should be the opposite. It, you know, cops should be every two years and civilians should be every six months. So that, that's, that's, it's crazy, but that's, it's bizarro world. So this is the kind of thing that happens. All right. So my very good friend, Rick Santoro, wrote me something that's going to give you the opportunity to comment in such a way that our listeners will be reminded or get to know for the first time, you know, what kind of judge you were and your demeanor and things like that. So Rick asked me to ask you, Judge, uh, your view on criminal defendant attire. And he writes that you're a legend in the courthouse for your views on in that you had no patience for underwear showing, dropping, you know, the pants, pants and you know, hats sideways and all that stuff. What was the Donio uh, doctrine in this regard? Well, it's funny you bring that up because if somebody's not in jail and they want to go to trial and they want to look, you know, disheveled and like a bum, there's not much you can do about that. But I, I had a case where a uh, incarcerated defendant did not want to wear the clothes that we have downstairs uh, that people give and things like that. And he came up and he said that, um, I'm, I'm not wearing this, this garbage. And I said, well, do you want to go to trial in your orange jumpsuit? And he said, yeah, I'll do that. So I gave him two or three opportunities and he decided that, you know, he came back upstairs. He says, I'm not wearing that stuff. And I said, well, to the sheriff, I said, well, what do you have down there? He said, judge, we got a pair of pants, a shirt and a sport coat. And he says, yeah, I'm not wearing it. And me, you know, sometimes, you know, without thinking, I said to him, I said, well, what do you think we're going to do? Get you a limousine and take you to Boyd's in Philadelphia and get you spitted there? I said, we're not going to do that. Well, to make a long story short, he went to trial in his orange. He was convicted. They appealed. And the appellate division reversed me. 
and said that I should have uh, made the sheriff bring up the clothes that they wanted him to wear. I should have reviewed those clothes to see if they would be offensive to a reasonable juror. They reversed me. Wow. And they quoted in the appellate decision what I said about taking them to Boyd's. And and, uh, and it's a published decision. I can't read Herrera, State versus Herrera. Oh, my gosh. and, and but what happened was this guy was from Mexico, and by the time the appellate division ruled, he had been deported. So we didn't do the retrial. So to answer your question, if they come in and they're off the street and they want to, you know, look like, you know, that way, there's not a whole lot. But uh, we do provide clothes for the uh, defendants so that they don't have to go to trial and the jury knows that they're incarcerated and they're wearing an orange jumpsuit. But, um, you know, I quite frankly, I leave that to the lawyers. You know, if you're representing somebody and they come to court looking like a bum, I think it's incumbent on the lawyer to say, hey, you know, you got to clean up. You got to look a little better. Yeah, here. Like what's the jurors going to think of you? If you show them no respect that this is how you come. I mean, it's a predisposed bias right there. Let's get our final break in. We really needed two hours. Uh, we first talked about where we doing a half hour or an hour. I said, please, Your Honor, let's do an hour. It's going to go in like the blink of an eye and it's happening before our eyes. Here's my follow-up to this, and then I want to end with the um, judicial vacancies because I think that's so huge, and we're probably not going to get to the high-profile cases of Donio that I wanted to get to. But how much do judges hate being reversed? And and specifically, how much does this judge, Donio, dislike being reversed? We'll be back with Judge Donio. I am early in the morning. This is WPG Talk Radio 95.5. South Jersey's number one news talk radio station, all because of you. Markley, Van Camp, and Robbins. Try anything to raise the cost of Precision Jobs, I will veto it. <laughs> Precision Jobs is the new fiddlesticks. <laughs> Markley, Van Camp, and Robbins. Weekday afternoons at 1 on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. Hi, it's Mark Levin. Join me this evening at 6. Now back to Hurley in the Morning on WPG Talk Radio, 95.5 FM, 1450 AM. South Jersey's talk station. From the great one, Levin, to another great one, Donio, Your Honor, how much do judges dislike being reversed? And I guess the best thing to do is ask this judge, how much did you dislike that? Well, who who likes being told that they're wrong? Exactly. Who who likes it? Who likes it? So, you better not, right? Yeah. So a funny story is that when I got the criminal, uh, the first time I got reversed, uh, all the other guys read the opinion and and they thought that it was you know ridiculous, and I was upset about it. And um, my good friend, uh, retired Judge Mike Connor, uh, I'll never forget it. He came up to my office and he said, that "I read the opinion." He said. Just remember this. And he looked at me and, you know, if you knew Mike Connor, he bobbed his head a little bit. And he said, just remember this. It takes three of them to tell the one of you that you were wrong. I like that. I like that. And I uh, so I always remembered that. And listen, here's the bottom line, Harry. Uh, Of all the judges in the federal and state courts in this country, there's only nine of them that have never been reversed. And they're the nine on the United States Supreme Court. That's great. 
That is great. That so, is a great answer. So, so they're, they're the only nine. Everybody gets reversed. And, and listen, I've had numerous cases where the appellate division reversed me and it got appealed to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court uh, reinstituted what I did. So, you know, there's some justification there. But everybody gets reversed. Everybody gets reversed. Listen, when you're doing a criminal trial and it's a two, three week trial and you need to understand that if you make one evidential ruling or you give one jury instruction that they say is wrong, the whole case gets reversed. So you might make 100 calls during that case and you make one bad one, according to the appellate division, you get reversed. Pretty tough. Yeah. It's a tough job. A very, very tough standard. Let's close with this. And then next time we visit, we'll talk. I want to talk about some of your high profile cases, but we're going to run out of time because I think this is a pretty substantial uh, issue that we're going to close with. And that is your take on the status of judicial vacancies in the state of New Jersey. It's been a problem. Well, this is one of the things that bothers me a great deal. Quite frankly, Harry, it's disgraceful. We have over 75 judicial vacancies in the state. Chief Justice Rabner put out a ruling uh, a few weeks ago that at least three counties are suspending family matters and civil matters, suspending them. Terrible. To get the criminal cases done where people are incarcerated. Um, I think it's disgraceful, and I think a lot of the blame has to go to the state senators. Uh, who are using senatorial courtesy for the wrong reasons. There is no reason that when the governor wants to uh, intend to nominate somebody, that there's no reason that if the state senator has a problem with that person, that they can't sign off and let that person go before the Senate Judiciary Committee for a hearing and get a vote up or down. If the person is not a good judicial candidate, they'll get voted down. But what these senators are doing is that they're using their power of senatorial courtesy to bargain for things that have nothing to do with the judiciary. Now, in our vicinage, we have no vacancies. And you got to give Senator Palestina a lot of credit for that. He's only been in office a couple years. He has probably filled five or six slots and a prosecutor. Judge Blee has got to get a lot of credit for that because the senator works with the assignment judge on these appointments and judge Blee replaced judge Mendez who did a great job with that judge Blee's only been there for a year and there's been like three or four maybe five positions and that's what happens when people work together judge Blee's been there a year he's doing a marvelous job he's a great judge and he's going to be there for a long time hopefully and and uh, senator Palestina has to get a lot of kudos for getting the things done he got a new prosecutor and five or six judges in less than two years because he's not bargaining for things that have nothing to do with justice. And he's so, shown that he's shown that he can cross party lines and work effectively with Governor Murphy when and where he can. Absolutely. And these senators up north where most of these vacancies are, they should be called on the carpet and say, why won't you let the governor's person go to a hearing in front of the Judiciary Committee, and then if approved by Judiciary, go to the full Senate. And if that person is not qualified, vote them down and put in another person. But to have 75 vacancies in this state 
is disgraceful. And then we got to end it right there. We're at the finish line. Let's do this again, and let's not let it be so long next time. That's on me. Okay, Harry. It was, it was fun. It was. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you. Square Media Station. Everything you need to know in six minutes starts now. From Harry Hurley Way in the world's playground to the broadcast pioneers of Philadelphia Hall of Fame. I want to congratulate my friend, Harry Hurley. You're about to find out why Harry Hurley has been named to the Talkers Magazine list of the 100 most important talk show hosts in the nation. Live from the studios of Town Square Media in Northfield, it's Hurley in the Morning on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. Thank you. Welcome back. Now all the pressure is on Don P. Hurley because... We brought it in the first hour, you brought it in the second hour, and Donio brought it in the third hour. So Hurley, as in Don, has to bring it in the fourth quarter, which begins right now. Don, I want to give you the opportunity. I know that you were eavesdropping last hour. Uh, Judge Donio is just a, a terrific man. Oh, yeah, extraordinary. Uh, you know, as the presiding judge over the criminal division, Harry, legendary. Uh, beyond Atlanta County, you know, I, I, I've appeared in so many courts. I never had the honor to appear before Judge Donio of all the judges. Uh, but one thing you knew, he was you weren't going to mail it in with Judge Donio. You had to you had to do your work, you know, pack a lunch. Uh, but just one of the great one of the great jurists ever. And, and you wouldn't have necessarily been able to because while you were still on the job, Donio was in the civil division. Uh, you were retired before he got to the criminal division and to be presiding judge. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you never, you, know, you never had a all, chance. Well, actually we do though. Cause we appear in all those cases too. You'd be surprised. Oh, that's so. right. You, you would appeal, appear in family cases, right? But, but Donio oh, sure. also said that he didn't do family. He did civil. Well, it, but yeah. yeah, we had accidents. So Harry, yeah. I mean, there was many chances okay. just never lined up. I got us, you. But okay. I got yeah. You. What, what, what a guy, you know, so rare, you know, your audience to have a, a chance to, to hear from a, a judge of Judge Donio's caliber. You know, you just don't hear that very often. No, it really reminds me of the time. And I know you remember this when uh, I, I can't remember if Paul and I did it together, but Paul made the um, made the interview happen. Paul D'Amato, our, our brother. Uh, and that was the interview that I did with Judge Greenberg. And that was oh, my God, that was like a um, that's a highlight type thing, too, because you you know the the celebrated case that he did, uh, and we oh, talked. Of course, the Marshall and, case, exactly. Yeah. Robert Marshall, and we talked all yeah. about it, and the movie even, and his name up on the the dais, honorable judge, you know, Manuel Greenberg. I mean, it's crazy. Um, so uh, Donio, though, I mean, my goodness, he is he's the real deal. Always, always has been, and the, the reputation he had. I think most people, if you know his reputation, you might think he has a reputation being very strict and, you know, tough guy and all that. But he was also very compassionate in his courtroom when it was appropriate. So he he's just yeah, a total you know, yeah, he's the total package. Yeah. And very human, Harry. Yeah. Judge Donio had a way because I did sit through tr- trials. Uh, he just had a way about him to keep a court very comfortable and, and but very controlled. It was really an interesting uh, experience. He he's just one of the best, and we were really blessed, Harry, in Atlanta County. The uh, you know you think like people take it for granted that no matter where you're at, you have a great judge on the bench, and it's just not so. We were really really blessed in Atlanta County to have so many great judges 
Uh, and, you know, all I ever wanted was to get a fair shake. You know, I'm going to come in. I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to do my work. We're going to present a good case and get a fair shake. And we had tremendous judges that saw through, you know, so much nonsense through the years. But uh, really good stuff, though. And just to hear from Mike, Mike Donio, that was what, what a pleasure. Yep. Uh, he was a great athlete, too, which always um, really fits in. The, the great athletes are usually very successful uh, in business. It's just, just something about it uh, that, that is transferable. And it probably is hard work, you know, dedication. There's a lot of reasons for all of that. All right. It's a, an official mental health break on the Hurley in the Morning program. As you know, I wrote an article yesterday, which I could do a little bit of a follow up. And I will in terms of on-air commentary, but I could actually do a follow-up either as an addendum on that piece or a follow-up article because I've been maintaining for the longest time that vinyl records, vinyl albums are big time back in popularity. And I just confirmed this morning at about 3 o'clock this morning that vinyl records are outselling digital which is really amazing when you think about it. But you and I both know there's a reason for that. And I touch on some of those reasons in the article that's on the app and on the website. Hold that for a second. Go to the original uh, purpose of the article, though. And that was to let people know that we went and calculated, you know, and had sources. So we didn't go get out an abacus or a calculator. But we were able to put together a piece that showed the biggest sellers of vinyl albums and records in the history of recorded music. And I'm not surprised. And I, I, as you know, I've fallen in re-like with Elvis after the Bos Lerman movie. Uh, Just phenomenal. And I remember, I vividly remember him in the movie saying to Priscilla, I'm almost 40 years old and no one's going to remember me. That's almost a half a century it is if you count because he still lived to be, what, 42. So it is a half century ago that he said that. Not only is he still remembered, but we were able to give the statistics, Don, of every demographic, age demographic, even 18 to 34-year-olds that were not alive. They were decades not alive when Elvis was on top. 43% or thereabouts uh, have a favorable you know, impression like Elvis and then the numbers are higher if you're over 55, over 65, you know, and so on. So we were able to put together, did it surprise you? Because we didn't give it away in the headline. You had to you had to go do the work. And it, I, did, I reveal it early. I didn't make it work too hard. But it's it's it was basically setting up whether Elvis, Frank Sinatra, or um, Michael Jackson – one of those three was the highest selling recorded, you know, vinyl album, vinyl record seller in history. Did it surprise you that by such a wide margin or did it surprise you even that it was Elvis that won and carried the deal? No, it, it didn't surprise me. And you know, he was so extraordinary. Now, would you have picked if I, if I said to you today, cold and you didn't know, and maybe you knew ahead of time and the article didn't even matter. But if I said to you and that. Who was the biggest recording seller of vinyl albums and records? And I give you three choices, Elvis, Sinatra, Michael Jackson. Who would you have picked? Um, I'll tell you what, I think sight unseen, I might have picked Michael Jackson because he had, you know, that thriller broke so many records. Uh, it was so groundbreaking. You know, 
Uh, I would have thought the Beatles would have been in there, so, although they only had 10 years, you know. But the records continue to sell, you know. But yeah. they, they were included in, in the, the group. But And by uh, the way, I was also surprised because I probably would have also picked Michael Jackson. I, it would be no disrespect. I knew Sinatra son, so, sold a ton, but I, I wouldn't necessarily have just – I wouldn't have picked Sinatra, and I can't explain why. I knew he was in the top three, but I wouldn't have picked him. And were you surprised uh, number five – is Madonna? Does that surprise you that she's top five all time? No, and I'll tell you why. Think about how long she's been performing. So, no, that doesn't surprise me. Very popular and stayed incredibly popular all through these years, including now. I mean, you know, she, she's had some kind of crazy work done, but uh, still out there. The voice is still really good. So, no, that doesn't surprise me at all. She played Live Aid. Think about how long ago that was, and she was a, a, a star then. And it just came to me because so, I don't I don't have the article in front of me. It would be easy for me to get right on my phone, but I'm actually working on something else uh, at the moment. But the fourth all-time vinyl seller is Stevie Wonder. No, wait a minute. Now I'm questioning myself. Hold on a second. Give me a second, Don. I have to save something. It's weird. I, I, I was so confident. When I began to say that, and then after it came out of my mouth, I thought, wait a minute, that might not be right. Hold on. This will just take a second. I've got it. Dun, dun, dun. There's Elvis. Let's see. Yep. Stevie Wonder. Uh, for those who want to know, Elvis sold an astonishing 212 million vinyl albums and another 135 million singles. Sinatra was second with 95 million singles. Michael Jackson third with 79 million singles. Stevie Wonder fourth with 75 million singles. And Madonna rounds out the top five at 65 million singles. It's a lot. That's a lot, isn't it? Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. And, you know, you think about it. Back then, the audience was smaller. It was much harder. You think, you know, any of your... Your generation with us, Harry, how hard it was. We had to save our money to, you know, we knew an album might be coming out and what it took. You know, everything's so readily available today. It's, you know, but let, we really. But had- let me ask you this, though, and I I second that. It, it, and we had to buy it. There was no digital. There was no other way over the air. And I guess you could try to tape it. We, You and I had that reel to reel deck and we could have done something that wouldn't have been high quality. You know, we didn't have the jacks and all that would have made it like broadcast quality. But what do you think about going forward uh, in the digital age? Are they at a disadvantage because it's so easy to get music without paying for it? Oh, sure. Yeah, you can just rip it off now and people... Excuse me. People can just email it to you. I mean, it, it's just so readily available. So the commitment to me was much, you know, much greater when you had to really sacrifice, save, yeah. and you know, you know, struggle and find a way to. You knew, you knew the Beatles, for instance. I wanted that Beatles album so bad. I remember saving for it. You know, cashing in uh, milk bottles, Coke bottles. <clears throat> excuse me, Harry. And so, you know, that it was. You know, you struggled. It was actually something you worked for. And I was really lucky, Harry. I got one of the few the two guys had that album, and most of them went up being bootlegs, by the way. Very good bootlegs, but I was so lucky to get one of the original uh, Introducing the Beatles albums, which I still have, by the way. We're going to go to our first break. I know you do. Um, it's true. Some of those ones are very rare when you get one that um, 
is of a certain printing and more valuable than a later edition, this kind of thing. At uh, just past 17 minutes past the hour with Don, it's Harry. It is her Lee's in the morning, and it's an official mental health break. He is Don. I am Harry. This is Hurley in the morning. WPG Talk Radio 95.5 FM and 1450 AM. WPG Talk Radio 95.5, South Jersey's number one talk station. We are back. It's Hurley in the morning in an official mental health break hour. Which I do hear, you know, we, you know, we never able to sample these things, you know, to, to point, you know, three to one of 1% accuracy. But I hear from a lot of people that do enjoy that at least one hour a week because we are in news cycles that are unprecedented. And I said this, I wrote it in advance. I said, Trump is going to win. And I said, and it will never be the same because news cycles will be at the speed of Trump. And I knew it because I knew what it was like working for him. You could get a call from him at 3 in the morning, at 10 at night, 11 o'clock at night. I mean, he never slept. So you knew you were just – it was go time no matter what time of day it was. And we've never gotten back from that. The media – Biden moves slow, but the news still is moving very, very fast. So it's important. These are these are good um, – these are good times. These are good hours to just suspend all of that in favor of something positive. All right. So now you get the next uh, talking point, Don. Yeah, I think, you know, it was interesting because we talked about, you know, selling the records. But the, um, the and it's been a few years now that records final has, has made a big comeback. As you recall, for so many years, these great vinyl albums were in discount racks for 50 cents, a dollar. And Don, many people threw their vinyl away. They thought, oh, my God, it's like eight-track tapes. They're gone forever. People that threw away stuff that ultimately would have been worth thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah, and for me, aside from the sound, which I I know to be better on vinyl, it's just, you know what it is? There's just certain – now, of course, you have to be more careful with them, although you can scratch a CD too, but the – the, the way it's it's almost like film to digital photography. I, if you look at a vivid film, 35 millimeter film, it it is so far superior to any digital photography today. It just it just is. It's it's there. It's it's warmer. There just appears to be more depth. It's it, it's interesting. Now, digital photography is great and it's convenient, but you know, I was really long coming to it because I love film so much. I used to. You really hurry and shoot and scan and try to get it in in a reasonable time, but you just couldn't. You just couldn't do it anymore. And so, digital photography took over too. But much like the um, the CD, if you, now if you listen, the, the voices are great on CD. But if you ever notice the uh, there's certain things, the bass, the percussion, it's just different, you know, as opposed to vinyl, which is is just sonically to me, much more appealing where... Hey, Don, I got to ask you a question because you're much more knowledgeable than I in these areas. But in my presentation before a communication radio class at Rowan University last week, I brought up the example of vinyl records being back in fashion. And I said that is because digital cannot recreate the sound of vinyl. I will say this, and the teacher is my friend. The teacher pushed back on, pushed back on me a little bit, uh, but I think I'm right. Am I right when I say that? 
Yeah, I think you're right. But what's happening today, for instance, two years ago, you would have been exactly right because there wasn't they hadn't really dissected it closely enough to know that uh, CDs are really transferring a high quality sound and, and product, you know, so it's, it's a little closer decision today. I just think, you know, there's, there's no uh, accident drummers hate cds because their their work is lost in it it's very tinny you know what i mean as, yeah. as opposed to percussion you'll hear on an album but i could hear you know a professor or an engineer saying you know either way harry it could go either way but in, in to my ear and maybe that's like a lot of things maybe people hear things differently and that's where you have to go to like you know go to the board and, and see what it says you know the, the meters and everything but there's just there's something about the album that's pure it's a smooth transfer, you know, of, of the sonic uh, capabilities of sound. And I just don't think you get that on a CD, which is much more, you know, digital as opposed to uh, when you listen to like a smooth, well-kept vinyl record. And not the least of which are those great covers. I mean, they're just, they're oh, yeah. lost oftentimes in CDs that are so small. So I, I'm really happy I kept mine. I, I have most of my records. And yeah, it was, you know, that, that was smart because I'm telling you, as you know, uh, so many people threw them away. Yeah, I, I, I don't have a turntable right now, unfortunately, to play them. But I have I, don't, I have the albums. And particularly, I was telling you about that, that adventure we went on to two guys, Harry. And if, oh. you know, your listeners that, you know, look back at just fond mm -hmm. days in Atlantic City, two guys were so great. I mean, the best soft pretzel I ever had to this day. It is correct. Yep. Right there. And like you said, the discount rack where you could get, oh my gosh, just unbelievable 45s, uh, albums. It was incredible. Yeah. And, you know, two guys had everything. I mean, you know, if you were looking for a watch, they had, or, or you know, sneakers, like we, you know. <laughs> what was our expression, right? Don? If they didn't have it, you didn't need it. Yeah, you didn't either. It didn't exist. Yeah. Yeah, two guys was great. I look back at some of the, you know, I probably like my fondest memory of there in Garwood Mills, I would think, in Atlantic City. There's one for your listeners. You know, who doesn't, that, that grew up here, Garwood Mills and Captain Starnes back there, you know. True. Uh, just good good times. But, yeah, I remember saving for that Beatles record, Harry, and I was so happy because I, you know, I had it packed away. I, I only rediscovered it a couple of years ago that I still had it. I, I thought I did, but... And then one of the experts let me know that it's it's one of the the, the genuine copies that, that slipped through and not, you know, because what happened, there were two albums and they, they the Beatles obviously were, were breaking big and, you know, everybody wanted to be first. And this one, there was the Capitol record, of course, but this was was on a, 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 a label called VJ Records. And most of them were not genuine. They were really good recorded albums, but there were ways to tell within the cover which I wasn't aware of whether you had an authentic version or a bootleg copy and there's many more bootleg copies than the real ones. So that was an, another fortuitous, you know, moment of grabbing at a two guys. They had the real one. I wrote an article about, I guess sometime last year and it was, I thought it was, it was for me, it was kind of the words overused, but it was cathartic. It was, it was really interesting. And I wrote an article about all the different, stores that were around for so many years that have closed in new jersey and obviously two guys was right in there because two guys it's maybe it sounds i don't know how to put this to the audience maybe it sounds a little bit trite or something two guys was very important 
Go ahead, Don. Two Guys was very important in our lives. It's where we would be able to get our school clothes, school supplies. Like you said, the pretzels that we look so forward to. They had the booth right outside. Uh, best pretzels of all time. And I agree with you to this day. My favorite pretzel of all time. They were always spot on, always soft. It was amazing. You know, sometimes you go to a, get a soft pretzel and they've been there for hours and they're hard and you're so disappointed. They're not soft. Uh, they were just fantastic. But I repeat, and I want you to comment, two guys was very important when we were growing up. Oh, yeah, completely. Food, too. I mean, it was it was for everything, yeah. you know, and, you know, how many places there was no other place like it, you know. Uh, it was very important, you know, and also just a, just a treat anytime because we didn't get to go there very often, you know, growing up. Yeah. It's just, you know, by the way, Margie, the next she said the next time you're talking music with with Don, remember to mention Akrat and Russ Miller. Now, Russ Miller was Chuck Chiarello's family, right? Uh, that is correct. Yeah. Russ Miller, right in Atlantic City. Yes. Right there around Ohio Avenue. Yeah. For forever a legendary place and that absolutely was chuck's family and and don let me tell you another great uh we're talking music and memories with brother don hurley who has hosted many on at least three radio stations and well actually four come to think of it because you did the uh the um the web radio station uh so four radio stations music and memory shows i remember as a child the harmonica became very popular and you and I getting on a bus, which was probably 25 cents at the time, and we were lucky. Sometimes it would be a particular friend of the family, and he would put his hand over that thing that you would put the coin in. It would jiggle its way down into the bottom of the safe, uh, and that meant we could just get on. And that a quarter was a lot of money back then. That's like steel pier money, uh, getting on the pier money. I mean, amazing money. So we went up to Atlantic City from Ventnor. And I know you know the name of the music shop. I'll say it. Irv's Music Shop. And we got our Honer harmonica. Oh, yeah. You know, it's so funny. Until until my last move, I still had that harmonica, if you can believe that. In the little case. years later, I had it. In the little, In the little blue case that yeah. had a snap on it. I yeah. remember, you know, it's so funny. Not only do I remember that very well, but mine didn't last two minutes before I put a crack in it. When we were walking out of the store, I dropped it, and it, it, it didn't seem to affect the play, although, you know, I didn't know enough about the play to know if it was being affected. But it cracked the wood in the, the frame. But uh, what, a, what, an, what an instrument, though, and the people that can play it, people that I knew like Jim Thomas could play it oh, yeah. uh, like an instrument. I mean, it, it, is, it is an instrument, you know. You know who's a great harmonica player, by the way? The, the legendary Hall of Famer Stan Musial. He was a tremendous harmonica player, and he would always, yeah, at every baseball show, he would do you know autograph signing sessions. One of the truly greatest people I ever met, Stan Musial. He just so beautiful, a person. What a player! But he would all of a sudden stop, and say, "Hey, do we got a minute?" I said, "Well, you're the boss, you know." He says, and he pulls out this thing was small enough to fit in his mouth, and he played "Take Me Out to the Ball Game." On this little tiny harmonica, it was like a concert. It was so beautiful. And you know, I remember that. Like, and how he would make that little tiny, it seemed like it was an inch long, Don, maybe a little more than an inch. I'm, I'm trying to do an inch between my two fingers right now. Maybe a little more than an inch long and not more than an inch high. And 
it would be in his mouth and he would make that thing dance in there. That's talent. That's crazy talent. Yeah, I wish we were doing more video back then because I would maybe somewhere I bet you somewhere there's some film, but he he was so great and we you know we were lucky we did we had a whole team that did all these baseball shows all all our good guys would would uh, do security and and uh, work these these shows and and we actually you know a lot of people forget but the memorabilia craze really started in Atlantic City like so many other firsts you could add to what's happened in Atlantic City but the, you know there were there were you know, autograph signing sessions, you know, throughout America, but Atlantic city made it big, you know, with that 500 home run show that exploded the memorabilia industry area. No, there's no, there's no doubt. And by the way, just, just switching back to music for a second, because I'm thinking about herbs and I don't want to, I don't want to forget this. And then you can take it right back to on where you were, but everything you said is true. The, um, herbs music shop. We didn't think about it as kids. I'm speaking for you because I'm assuming you're going to agree with this. But I would imagine the big names that would have gone into that store because think about all the things. It's so many decades ago, 50 years ago, longer than 50 years ago maybe, that we went in there. That's how long it's been since we probably have been in that store. Uh, But I remember full drum kits. Of course, there were records and all that kind of stuff, vinyl. any instrument you can imagine. I remember Margie telling me about, you know, they would get the reeds for the saxophones. And Margie played a number of different instruments in the band. At one point, a very big instrument. And she was very, very small. And she had a very big instrument. I'm trying to remember if it was a uh, a trombone or something big. Uh, so that store, I guarantee you, big musical names in history went into that store. Oh, without question, they had to. I can, tell you, yeah. I can tell you off the top of my head. I can tell you, and you know, any guitarist went there that was in town was referred there. Um, I saw a couple. Of, I'm trying to remember Chicago's guitarist who I saw myself in there. It, he didn't last long, but man, was he good. Uh, Chicago's a very interesting band because you never, they never dish dirt. So you never really find out whatever happens with anything, which is great. I think they keep all their business in house. But this guy, and I'm going to think of his name because I always remember. On his guitar, he had this big feather hanging off it. <clears throat> excuse me, that would move as he played. It made it even more like intense. Uh, and he was a phenomenal guitar player and a great singer. He didn't last very long. He he uh, he needed some uh, strings. He was in there. Uh, why can't I think of this guy's name? He was so good. He played with Keith Howland during that era where Keith Howland first joined Chicago. Uh, Dwayne Bailey was his name. There Still you go. He's great. Good job. But he didn't last long with Chicago for, for whatever reason. But he was really good because his his harmonies were, you know, as, after Peter Cetera were as good as anything Chicago had. Uh, let's do let's do this uh, after the break. I want to get you. We're gonna we're gonna comment on each of the lead singers because it's it's a neat thing about a band that's been around sixty years that's had very few people. When you think about it, let me see if I can if I can do this. Don could do it like the back of his hand. Let me see if his slightly older brother, his slightly older identical twin brother of two minutes older fame can figure this out. All right, so here I go. And then right to the break, and we'll comment on the other side of the break. Obviously, the founding uh, lead singer uh, and bass player was um, Peter Cetera. Then followed by the longest lead singer in the history of Chicago, and I love him. Uh, Jason Chef, 
and 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 I got COVID nineteen after eight hundred and ninety two days, and I had tickets with Don and Margie and Debbie. We were going to see Jason Chef. That would have been my first time seeing Jason Chef since his Chicago days. And COVID nineteen after eight hundred and ninety two days of not having it got me. So, but I did. I think I did make somebody very happy, Don, who got my tickets. You know that story better than I do. Um, okay, so after Jason Chef, and I met him, and he was very kind, and he actually um, recorded uh, a message to me uh, with the whole Chicago band that Tom Cantone had done, Jeff Coffey, and then after Jeff Coffey, uh, the current lead singer Neil Donnell. So, Dom, when we come back, I think I got them all, and I think I got them in the correct order. In fact, I'm positive I did. I hate to say that if you correct me. Uh, I'm not aware of anybody else. I'm, I'm not going to count if there's ever been a fill-in person. I know Donnell used to fill in sometimes. You know, they'd say guest, you know, singer and this kind of thing. Uh, but I think that's all of them that actually were full band members. So I think I'm going to be right on that. And I want you to comment on each of them. You don't necessarily have to rank them if you don't want to because, you know, these are people that we've – most of them we've met. Uh, so it's not about offending anybody. But just talk about each of them because although the sound of Chicago stays recognizable, I think you'll agree with me. Each one of those uniquely different tonal qualities. I would say probably the two closest would be Satara and Jason Chef. Uh, coffee, very different than the first two. And also very different than Donnell. And Neil Donnell is very different than all three. So we'll get your take when we come back. And I know I know you're a big fan. We'll be back with Don. I am Harry. Coming up, a word from Brian Kilmeade, who will be joining us at six minutes past the top of the hour uh, with his daily program, The Brian Kilmeade Show. And Brian will be our featured guest and keynote speaker on Friday, September 29th at Resorts Casino Hotel in Atlantic City. Keynote speaker, guest of honor, the only repeat guest of honor, keynote speaker in our 16-year history. Uh, by the time he takes the stage at the Ocean Ballroom, he will have been about almost six years in between stints. Uh, we're very excited about it. All of our guests will get a book and get to meet Brian, and your book will be signed by Brian and personalized. It's going to be a great night. And uh, we already have almost a full house committed. So we're going to do the best we can. I think what I'm going to do is open a table, a table of 10 for 10 guest listeners to be able to to go to something that is very, very special. Here's Brian. Coming up on Friday's edition of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I can't wait for this one. Senator Ted Budd in studio. Admiral James Stravitas on the latest 80-missile strike from Russia to the Ukraine. Fox News Sunday, Shannon Bream. I hope we can all fit it in. And I want you there on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian Kilmeade is next at 10 on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. Hi, it's Markley and Van Camp. Join us later today at 1. Now back to Hurley in the morning on WPG Talk Radio 95.5 FM and 1450 AM South Jersey's talk station. It's happening all over again. A mental health break hour that is just flying by because we still have another five minute break to take and we're close to the break. Oh my gosh. Oh, Don, how does this, how does this, uh, how does this happen? Uh, and, but, but I promise you, we're going to still have a, a final quality segment. We're just going to have to break in about five minutes. Check this out, Don, before we get to the Chicago cliffhanger that I left. I don't know who this is. I guess I know them. They have my cell phone, my private cell phone. 
uh, but they're not in my phone. So here's what, what they wrote. Irv Shapiro, and that as soon as he, as soon as he or she, I'm assuming it's a he, I don't know why, but uh, as soon as he writes Shapiro, I immediately remembered that was Irv's last name, but I would have forgotten that uh, without the prompting. Irv Shapiro was the drummer in my father's orchestra at Haddon Hall, nightly in the Peacock Inn, now La Palais, from 1949 to 1977 or 78 when resorts brought in Tibor Rudis and yes all the big names in music visited his store that's what I love about my job it's amazing how you get these types of value added comments it's a pretty cool comment Don what a legendary place by the way oh yeah no no doubt tremendous tremendous place he what a great man too no doubt all right so all right the 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 a band that's been around for 60 years plus has had only a handful of lead singers, which is truly amazing when you think about it. And it, and if Chef had stayed just a little longer, there would have only been two in the whole history of it. So it's 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 almost crazy when you think about it. So you have Peter Cetera, who wasn't there very long, even though he gets the, the Hall of Fame and the as an individual and as a, a, a founding member of Chicago. They got to do something about that. I know they won't. But Jason Chef, come on, thirty years. He's the lead singer. He performs at the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. He doesn't get in though, so that's that's crap to me. That that whole I gotta tell you, Don, that's a that's a show for another day and a whole show. That Hall of Fame is so political and so much BS in terms of who gets in and who doesn't. And if you don't like who's sleeping with somebody, you don't get in. I mean, oh, it's just terrible. So um, anyhow, Satara. Jason Chef, Jeff Coffey, Neil Donnell. Say something about each of them. All great. Oh, yeah, tremendous. And, and you're right. They do have to clean that up, though, because, you know, Jason Chef, Harry, just to digress for a second, he's written hits for Chicago. I mean, yeah. he, he wasn't just like a, a, a guy that sits in. The thing they try, and I, I don't defend the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame by any means, but they, they had a real problem with people that, sat in and played with the band and you know as opposed to real contributing members now oh, I, I, hey don I, i'm good with that if you were a part if you filled in one night like neil donnell filled in a few times when they needed the lead singer and he's great voice of you know canada and all this stuff you know he's fantastic i, I i'm I, I understand that but jason chef 30 years oh and yeah, every yeah night. In, and 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 a contributor like i said he wrote uh what kind of man would I be? Number one. There's another one that escapes me right now. Was also a number one hit for Chicago. By the way, Jason Sheff, the son of Jerry Sheff, who was Elvis's bass player. By the I way, know. that's amazing. Uh, great lineage in that family. His father's still alive and well, and uh, played unbelievably well for for Elvis. Imagine growing up. Uh, Jason Sheff grew up, and to him, his father was the star. You know, Elvis, of course, was, but he he thought his father was the star of the band. You know, because who wouldn't? You look at your father playing up on stage. He even wrote a song. Uh, Jason wrote a song called Bigger Than Elvis. That yep. was his father. You know? All right, so here we go because we're so – in fact, let's just do it, Don. It's 10 minutes before the top of the hour. Let's bite the bullet. We'll take the break, which we need to do and honor the people that make it possible with our listeners to uh, to be here for the last 31 years, talking about 31 years, Jason Chef. Uh, and we'll come right back. But what I want to do is I want you to say something about each of them, their tonal quality, um, something that I think our listeners would find interesting 
about that particular era maybe of Chicago and what was going on? Because obviously with the Peter Cetera, you had the hitman David Foster era because my favorite songs are the ballads. Uh, and, um, you know, that doesn't exist without Peter Cetera and with David Foster. They collaborated for 10 years together. Uh, so we'll talk about that. And then each of the each of the singers, you know, themselves uh, and anything you want to say about that uh, as we continue with Don. This is early in the morning. WPG Talk Radio 95.5 FM and 1450 AM. And I always say there's thousands. WPGG Atlantic City. WENJHD3 Millville, a town square media station. How far will the left go to win 2024? Will they send out more stimulus checks, pass more student loan bailouts, or give away trillions more to left-wing groups? The simple truth is they don't care if your retirement is eroded down to a fraction of its value. They just want to win. Hi, Stephen K. Bannon. I want to encourage you to diversify your 401k or IRA out of paper assets and in to a physical gold IRA. And the only company I recommend for gold IRAs is conservative-owned Birch Gold Group. To learn more, text the word PROTECT to 989898 to get their free info kit on gold IRAs. Do this now before Democrats have a chance to legislate away your life savings. Get your free info kit on gold IRAs by texting PROTECT to the number 989898. There's nothing to buy and no obligation at all. So use your agency. Take action now. Text the word PROTECT to the number 989898. Hey, it's Tom P. Join me for Rack and Fin Radio tomorrow morning at 5. Now back to Harry Hurley on WPG Talk Radio 95.5. That is a good man right there. Good to hear you. Hey, Don, I don't know. I don't know if you got to hear the wonderful commercials. I just realized I potted you down, but I didn't uh, put you on hold. This will be helpful for me. Did you hear the commercials while you were on hold? No, I did not. Okay, so you had dead air for the whole break. Uh, I could have if I knew you were on hold, I just would have had to hit one button and it's a loop and and it's a tell button. You know, you know, the board, you can work a board and you could have heard it, but you should have been on hold and you would have been able to hear it. Anyhow, host error. Uh, Don P. Hurley continues in an official Hurley in the morning mental health break. All right. So now we're going to talk about each of the lead vocalists and a a very dear, dear, uh, faithful person in my life wrote the name Terry Kath who was a vocalist and, and, and a guitar, great guitar player, but I would not consider Terry Kath uh, a lead vocalist, but I would consider him a vocalist uh, for Chicago. Do you agree with that, Don? Well, no. Uh, Terry Kath was certainly a lead vocalist, but the ones we're talking about in this category, there's lead tenor singers, okay. the tenor singers, the bass players. Which you know. is, yeah, which is the sound of Chicago. Yeah, he was well. Terry Kath, though, Aaron, make me smile and all that. I mean, true, true. You know. Uh, all right. By the was, way, I wrote back uh, something incorrect. Uh, I take it back to the person that wrote me. I'll, if I don't get a chance to write you back, I know you're listening. I take it back. All right. So let's go now. I I, I, st- I stand corrected on that, and we we know a whole sad story there that we're not going to have time to get into. We have about eight nine minutes until Kilmeade. So start with Peter Cetera. Is he, I mean, I'm willing to say this. I don't want to rate the singers. Jason Chef is my favorite. I'll just say that. I love them all. Uh, but I will confess, Peter Cetera is the greatest of the four. Well, and not just that, Harry. Peter Cetera is probably one of the great 
pop singers of the last 60 years. I mean, that's how great he is. Yes. So he, he's in a category all by himself. I mean, everyone is sort of, if you think of the sound of Chicago, they're all striving to, to be like him. You yeah. know, that's, that's the sound. And by the way, let's so, add to that, Don, uh, a great songwriter in his own right. Absolutely. And, and you know what, too, just because we left this on a, on a note, uh, the, and the David Foster era was really good, by the way. It was very important, too. But uh, the, the ballads and some of the great songwriting occurred long before that. And I think what David Foster did, he often said, you know, he didn't let people give him too much credit, you know, for some of Chicago's success. He said, all I did was remind Chicago how great they were. Like, I thought they had forgotten how great they really are. He's, he's and, part of my concert every morning that I do, and I'm very familiar with a comment that he makes about Peter Cetera because he, he has those nights where he does concerts and he plays the piano and he'll bring out Celine Dion. He'll bring out Peter Cetera. You know, they all love him and he loves them and they have great rapports. He, he said about Peter Cetera, he said, I had the privilege of, he said, Chicago never knew who I was. Uh, I had the pleasure and the privilege to work with Peter for about 10 years, a little more than 10 years, co-wrote. You know, all these different songs, uh, including Karate Kid and, you know, a couple of the big ballads that are some of the most famous of all. He's very humble about that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and a huge talent. I mean, oh. he discovered Michael Bublé and so many others. I mean, uh, David Foster is a, a genius. I mean, just, well, they call him Hitman. You know, he's the Hitman. Yeah, he, he deserves it. Yeah, he really does. All right. So speak about Satara briefly and let's go through all of them. Well, I mean, again, one of the great pop singers of the last, you know, century, the last 60 years, in particular, popular music, uh, great bass player, you know, and it's interesting because three of the four that we're going to talk about, they sang the high highs and played the low lows, you know, it's interesting. That is Bass players cool. and high lead tenor singers, you know, yeah. and so and Chicago was always looking for that. So then here comes Jason Sheff, who just killed the the interview the uh audition if you will when he gets brought in he's very young at that time you know he's so he's been a star you know since a very young person you know and just blew them away blew chicago away and won the audition you know jason chef again great bass player his pedigree of course the lineage with jerry chef his father bass bassist elvis by the way didn't robert lamb and the founding members didn't they just love it that jason chef sounded like satara and he also played the bass Oh sure, yeah, because that was the that was the goal, you know, and which continued with Jeff Coffey, of course, great bass player, really good singer, you know. He's the only one I never got to see live. Oh, I, did. I just never made it during that era. Here's the here, you know, Don. Here's the coolest thing, Mar. It's the last time I saw Chicago. Margie and I went. It was amazing. We loved it, and it was during that time when Jason Chef was away from the band, but he was still a Chicago full, you know, full-fledged band member. It was just during that, that time when he was away. Well, we go see them, and it's Jeff Coffey. And, you know, I was disappointed because I knew it wasn't going to be Jason Chef, but I also knew of, Je of Jeff Coffey, and I knew, I knew he had the chops and that he would do a good job, and he did. He did a really good job, and it was honestly, we went on like a weekend, either a Friday or a Saturday night, and on Monday... Following that concert, Chicago named Jeff Coffey a full-fledged band member because at that point he was just filling in. Uh, and he he grew weary of the uh, their, their incredibly demanding travel schedule and, and nights. Yeah, Chicago, Harry, is a very 
hard touring band and have been for 60 years now, you know, and it's really tough to keep up with them. You talk to anybody. I mean, they're, they're, these four these four founding members that, well, now it's three that are still, because uh, Walt Parasader is now, he's retired. Uh, but Robert Lamb, Jimmy Panko, and Lee Lochnain, I mean, these guys have not stopped, and except for the pandemic, Harry, and even then they found a way to keep it going. They, they recorded an album in a hotel room and blew everybody away. It was really... And Lochney, I saw the special that I know you've watched. Lochney did the beautiful, um, you know, music room at, at the home, and it was fantastic. And he actually kind of celebrated the, the pandemic because it enabled him to do stuff he would never have been able to do. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, it's interesting with Chicago because, you know, they've been fighting this whole, you know, ballad band, you know, rock band. You know, it, it, first off, the interesting thing is how they infused and they're the ones that get credit for it. They infused horns as the integral part of the, the music, the sound. So they did something that hadn't been done or really wasn't being done. And Terry Kath, you know, they all tell you he was the heart and soul of the band. That listener that checked in with you was absolutely right. He's he is a lead singer in his own right, one of the greatest guitar players in history. In fact, uh, Jimi Hendrix, you know, one of the greatest guitar players in history, said once, you think I'm good, you got to see this guy from Chicago, Terry Kath. And you can tell all these years later how crushed they are about his passing. It, it just, oh, it, yeah. it, so, it, so it does never, it's never, the deep wounds have never, ever gone away. All right, comment about Jason Chef. We have about a minute on each person. Chef. Great, just great singer, just really great. We Love just got him. to see him. You missed him, but a couple of times last summer, he's he did that Beatles show. I mean, he paid such great tribute to the, the that Beatles White Album. He was so good in that, and uh, he's a great songwriter in his own right. I wish he would write more. You know, he did he did an album a couple of years ago. He did write a bit for Chicago, but I, not as much as I thought he could have, because he's the guy that kept them going when they had that string. Of uh, number ones over the course of many decades, it was Jason Chef that kept kept it going over two of those decades. You know, with number one hits that he wrote. What did you think? Because we're down to two minutes. What did you think of Jeff Coffee? I thought he's great and a really nice guy. I interact with him a lot online. I've interviewed him. We haven't met yet in person. I've never seen him play live yet in person. Oh, he was he's so good. He's great. Yeah. I, I think he's tremendous. Yeah, I, I, I mean, He I, would have been great for that band. I do, too. And obviously, the voice of Canada, uh, a legend. Uh, and I know this is like you can just tell because your friends on Facebook. I, I've become friends with him on Facebook. Neil Donnell cherishes, honors, and just loves being in the band Chicago. Yeah, and to me, the the second greatest singer, you know, in the history of the band, and he, he is one of the great singers in the world. This guy is on ten thousand records, Harry. He's the most, probably the most recorded voice in history. I don't, I don't think there's anybody. They say in Canada, but he's probably the most recorded voice ever, and one of the most versatile. He's a really good. He's not a bass player though. He he plays a really nice guitar. And he does play during the show. You know, he'll do If You Leave Me Now with a beautiful acoustic, which is not easy, you know, what he's doing there. And his voice to me, his, his range, he's the best since Peter Cetera to me. I, I won't argue. I mean, I, I would probably say Jason Chef. I would go Cetera, Chef. And I would have gone Coffee and Donnell, but I, I, I just, I've really grown to like Donnell's voice. And he's so... 
he is like an athlete with his voice. He's so trained. Yeah, and he's such a... A technician. He's so good. Ten seconds, Don, before Killmead, I got to say uh, bye-bye, and uh, thank you for a great mental health break. Enjoyed it. Uh, it's great. Always, Harry, with right. your audience. Thanks Let's so much. next week. Write me in. Block Take me care. in. Here, uh, here.